0: Well, good morning, everyone, and again, welcome to Fellowship Church. If this is your first time here, which uh, we have first-time guests pretty much every Sunday, and we're thankful for that opportunity that we have as a church to minister the gospel, minister the good news of Jesus Christ to you, and uh, that is what we uh, intend to do, not just through the singing, which we've done, we've testified to many great truths already Um, And we will continue uh, to do that, testify to the the great truth of God through the preaching of the word. And um, as we just sang, uh, we believe that Jesus has the words of life. So where else would we go but to to the word of God? And so we're studying the book of Acts. Uh, The series is Witnesses. We're working our way through. And uh, so we are in Acts chapter 14. And today... Uh, We're going to be looking at a contextualized gospel, and I want to explain that word. Uh, I'm sure you've probably heard the phrase taken out of context, taken out of context, and and maybe that's happened uh, to you. And if that has happened to you, you probably probably didn't like it when you were uh, taken out of context or when someone said something uh, that you said, and, and they just put it in a context that you didn't mean it. And just to be clear and make sure that we're all uh, on the same page uh, with this, let me explain uh, what it means. And and I'll give you a definition and put up here on the screen for you to see Uh, the circumstances in which something is said and not correctly reported so that it seems to mean something different from the meaning that was intended. And, And what I want you to pick up on there is that when something is out of context or taken out of context, the meaning changes. And that's really important when it comes to communication, the meaning. So let me go back to the question then, has that ever happened to you? Where you have communicated something and someone is taking it out of context. Well, it's not It's not a fun thing for, for that to happen to you. And, and why is that? Well, it, it, it's because it means you've, you've been misunderstood. And sometimes that's intentional and other times it's unintentional, but either way, you're you're, you're misunderstood. In fact, I was doing some just research and reading on this and, and psychologists agree that uh, taking things out of context is actually, uh, it's worse, they said, than an outright lie. Now, now why is that? Well, well, because when you take something out of context, it can be a form of intentional manipulation where you're, you're, you're trying to manipulate someone else. And, and, and also because it usually contains some truth. And, and so it, for the listener, it takes some work. It takes more discernment. Uh, it takes more insight. You have to work a little bit harder to understand what's true and, and what's not. And, and so let me, let me bring this back into what we're going to be talking about today. In, in today's account that we're going to be looking at in the book of Acts, Paul is going to contextualize the gospel and what I mean by that is he presents the gospel in a specific way to a specific audience. And he does so in the right way. In other words, he doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't do this in the wrong way. We're gonna see that. He doesn't take the gospel out of context. What he does is he puts it into a different context and he preserves the integrity of it. But the people who are hearing what he said, they misunderstand it completely. They respond in the wrong way, completely the wrong way. And so we're gonna look at this text, we're gonna see what Paul did, we're gonna see how the people responded, we're gonna see why it was wrong, and we're gonna learn how we as believers can properly contextualize the gospel in our day, in our lives, without losing the integrity of the gospel. Because if you lose the integrity of the gospel, then it all falls apart. So let's pray and ask the Lord to lead us. Lord God, we thank you for your word and your truth. We thank you for the time that we've had together in worship already, where we make much of you through music and song, in the reading of scripture, hearing from missionaries, praying for them. Lord God, we're so thankful for the opportunity that we have to come together as the people of God on the Lord's day. And Lord, as we uh, preach your word and proclaim your truth, I pray that the spirit of God would do what only he can do. And that is to illuminate, to make this truth of, of God's understandable. And may we have hearts to receive and eyes to, to, to see what he's doing, ears to listen Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, turn in your Bibles, if you have a Bible with you, into Acts chapter 14. Again, it's where we left off last week. And uh, you you heard the the text that was just read for us. Uh, And we left off with Paul and Barnabas fleeing Iconium, if you remember that, uh, because the leaders of the city were planning to stone them. And, and so they, they decided not to stick around for that and they left and they went to Lystra and you can kind of see that there on the map that you can kind of get an idea of where he's been going and and, and, and kind of what this uh, journey has looked like. Uh, Lystra was about 18 miles uh, from Iconium. So they had to, they had to make that, that trip. It was a frontier outpost uh, of the Roman Empire. It was a, a city that was a fortified city within the Galatia region. Um, and some have uh, described it, at least at this time, as a, a place that would have resembled an old, an old uh, town in the West. Um, and so I don't know if that helps to help you understand it a little more. Uh, the Romans ruled the land there. The Greeks, they controlled the commerce. And the Jews had very little to no influence in this, uh, in this town. There were no synagogues. So this is very different. What we need to do is when we read through the book of Acts, we need to understand the context itself and understand that we just can't look at every single one of these accounts and think it's exactly the same. Where, he, where they came out of an Iconium to Lystra, it's different. This is, a, this is a Gentile pagan town. And we're going to see how they respond to that. So Luke starts us. He's our writer. He's the one who wrote this, this book. He starts us with a miracle and the way it starts is Paul is apparently speaking publicly, most likely preaching the gospel, right? He's preaching the gospel, and he's probably doing it in a public area, and people are present and listening to him. They're, they're listening to what he said. And then if you see there uh, in verses 8, uh, 9, and 10, it tells the story of what happened. There was a man who, who was sitting, could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth. He had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. Paul looked intently at him, seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. So Paul is speaking, and he notices as he's speaking a crippled man. A man that Luke tells us now, because Luke's our writer, and he tells us that this man has been crippled from birth, which means he had never walked in his life. He had never stood on his feet. In his life, and Paul is speaking, and he looks intently at him. And while he is speaking, the man seemed to Paul to be listening intently. You see, speakers, we can see that surprises you, right? I can look over and I can go, Okay, they're tracking, they're tracking. Ooh, wonder where they are. Don't know, but I don't think they're here. So, Paul, Paul is he's speaking and he has this, nothing's being said you know, this, this would, this would be considered, you know, nonverbal communication where he's making eye contact and seeing this guy's tracking with me. And, and I think this came probably through the power of the Holy Spirit that Paul would see somehow that this man has faith in God, because that's what Luke tells us. He has faith and then Luke tells us that the man had enough faith to be made well. Now that's, that's something again that, that we're getting from our writer. So Paul looked at him. The man looks back. And then Paul tells him to do something this man has never done in his entire life. Think about that. He has never done this in his entire life. Stand up on your feet just tells him to do that now the question you have to ask and and, and a lot of times when you're going through narrative you ask yourselves a lot of questions about okay what's going on but did the man know that he could stand before he tried to stand well my my guess on that I, i i doubt it i don't think he knew he could he could stand and, and the, the reason I say that is because of the way that Luke writes this. It required faith, right? And, and, and faith is the, is the substance of things hoped for, right? It's, it's being certain of what you cannot see, right? So it required faith. And Paul, through the Spirit, saw that this man had faith. He believed he was listening and he believed. And so somehow this man who had never walked, never stood on his feet, had enough faith to, to motion in his body or his brain to tell himself to stand up on his feet. And he does. And, and he's so excited. He, begin, he begins to jump and, and walk around. So he is, he didn't need to stretch, you know, or anything after all of that time, right? We'd have physical therapists here and say, no, you can't do that. You need to take it slow, you know, we're gonna walk you through this. That's not what happened. I mean, he went from where he couldn't stand to perfect and whole in the power of, of of God. And so he's walking and he's jumping around, and the people notice. I mean, what a great start to the day of ministry for Paul. He's made an impression on these people of Lystra. Now again. These things didn't happen in every town. We've already seen that as we're going through. So now let's look at the response. How do the people respond? Well, they respond, the Lystrans, with false worship. That's what what Luke is telling us in verse 11. And when the crowd saw that Paul had done, they lifted up their voices. So they're excited, right? And they're speaking in Lyconian. The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker and the priest of Zeus whose temple was at the entrance to the city went and brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowd. So after Paul, he heals this man who had been crippled from birth and then after the people see this man, they probably knew him, right? They probably had seen him before and now he's walking around and so they're probably like, man, that's the guy that that shouldn't be walking right now, they're in shock at what they just saw. And the crowd starts to cry out. And they cry out, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Now, if you are a follower of Christ and you're preaching, that's not what you want to hear. If you're a false teacher, you, you might be okay with that. And they're shouting this in a language that Paul and Barnabas do not know. They they, they, they don't know what they're saying. Luke makes it very clear to tell us that they're doing this in Lyconian. So so they're saying something that, that they can kind of see that they're excited, but may not at this point know exactly what they're excited about or what they're saying. They refer to Barnabas as Zeus, who's the chief god of the Greeks. They refer to Paul as Hermes. Who was the son of Zeus, and he was known as a messenger god in Greek uh, mythology, which is why they referred to Paul as Hermes, because Paul is the one doing most of the talking. And so they would assume that would be Hermes who would do most of the talking. So that's why they said he was Hermes. Now, let me ask you this question. Why would the people of Lystra immediately think that these were two Greek gods in the likeness of men? Why would they... Why would they run and jump to that conclusion? Well, it comes from their, from their myths and their, and their legends. So there was an ancient legend that existed that Zeus and Hermes had come down before, had come, come to earth before, and the people treated them poorly. They didn't get treated the right way. But there was one peasant couple, an elderly couple, who took them in. And this elderly couple provided for them, gave them food and and lodging. And and so what happened is is Zeus uh, blessed this couple by turning their home into a grand temple. And the people who didn't treat them the right way were destroyed by a flood. And it's likely then that the people who are seeing what Paul and Barnabas did, they're trying to avoid the same fate. They're going, okay, if this is the same thing we've heard, if this is Zeus and Hermes again, we better take care of these men. We just saw him perform a miracle. Only gods can do that. So they decide to treat them with honor. Luke tells us that the priest of Zeus goes to the temple. So this is a pagan temple and and brings some bulls. The the temple was by the gate, the city gate. So went, brought. So must have been a little distance between where the gate was and where they were gathered, and bring some bulls dressed with garland and wreaths, which is what they would do when they were going to sacrifice them to the gods. They were going to turn this into a pagan worship service. That's what's happening here, and and so you step back and you say, how did this happen? How did this happen? Because it started with a miracle of the Spirit of God. Right? And this is this was the Spirit of God who, who used Paul uh, and, and Barnabas to bring healing to this man. How could that lead to this? Well, it can, and it did. And finally, the way Luke writes this is he tells us that Paul and Barnabas finally notice what's happening. And they respond. They respond to the blasphemous worship. Verse 14. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, men, why are you doing these things? We're also men like, uh, of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain, vain things to a living God. So, once Once Paul and Barnabas realized that the people were responding to the supernatural miracle of God in an unholy, pagan way, they responded. They didn't just let it go. What was their response? Well, first, they tore their own garments in an act of contrition. They tore their own garments in an act of contrition of contrition this, this would be a, a Jewish act of contrition before God, the tearing of your garments. And so that's what they're doing. They're, they're even though they're not the ones who've done wrong, they see what's happening and they're going, this is, this is unholy. This is not of God. And they, and they rent their clothes as a way of, of, of saying, this is, this is not good. They accepted none of this honor. To, and what I want you to realize is this too: to be a god in the Greco-Roman world was the highest honor. I mean, if you were, if you if you got to god status, you in this world that that was it. And they were getting treated like gods. This would be like today, you know, receiving the Hollywood star, or maybe more than that, maybe having the most followers, um, having the most likes. You know, you create a video, and it, you, you can't believe that your video was watched more than any other in the planet, shared by more people. Like, like you're way up there, right? Well, they tore their garments in disgust over the thought of receiving glory And receiving worship that belonged only to God. And they tore their garments in response to being a part of something that was happening that seemed good but was unholy in every way. And they knew it. They wouldn't participate. So they tore their own garments in an act of contrition. Second, they rushed to the crowd and spoke truth. So they rushed into the crowd. And, and, and you, you know, you could look at this and say, wait a minute, maybe they shouldn't have done that. They should have probably stopped, prayed about it, called a few friends, had them pray about it, called a meeting, form a committee, <laughs> right? But they weigh a lot, you know, weigh all the options. They didn't do that. They rushed out. Luke makes it very clear. that They went into the chaos and they spoke truth. Unpopular Truth, dangerous truth. And that's what I'm realizing more and more in being a pastor in ministry, how dangerous truth is becoming. It's considered dangerous. It's considered intolerant. It's considered judgmental. And as followers of Christ, we're called to truth. We just have to realize that. So what did they say? Verse 15. What did they say when they went out into this crowd? We bring you good news. (laughs) Turn from these worthless things. I don't think they saw that as good news. They (laughs) turn from the things that they consider to be of greatest value. You're saying is worthless. Right? That's what's happening. The thing that they consider of greatest value. Their worship of their gods, these guys are saying they're worthless. Turn from the worthless, vain things. Turn to the living God. That's what he said. So Paul addresses their evil ways. Turn from worthless things. He's making it clear. Paul is making it clear that idolatry, idolatry is unequivocally incompatible with the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to understand that as Christians living in America in 2023, idolatry is not at all compatible with the gospel, the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul preached a sermon, preached a little sermon here. And, and, and I'm calling it a contextualized sermon because of how it differs from what he's preached before, which we'll look at. So this is his sermon, verse 15. We also are men of like nature with you. and We bring you good news. We just talked about that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. So very different sermon. This sermon here has two main points that I want to bring out. But before I get there, I, want, I really want to make sure you're following what's going on. Especially, this, this is the real benefit of preaching through uh, a book like we're doing because you can remember what, what the previous chapter was like. But notice how different this sermon is from what he preached in Iconium and what he preached in Pisidian Antioch. Why is that? Why is it so different? You know, does he just have a bunch of sermons and he's just, you know, mixing them up? No, it's more, it's more than that. He's, he's speaking to Jews when he was in Iconium and he was in Pisidian Antioch. In fact, he was in the synagogue. Now he's in a pagan Gentile area outside and his message is really directed to that audience. So what's the first point that he wants to make? He wants to make the point that God is the creator of all things. Paul begins with something that all the Greeks can see and then they can know with their own eyes. Nature, creation. And Paul makes it clear that the creation of God, think about this. Let, let this sink in to you that the creation of God is a witness to God. A witness to God. Notice that in verse 17. I think that's a phrase you may want to circle, underline, or just really take in. He did not leave himself without witness. In other words, creation is always witnessing to the world. Witnessing to the creator God the God of the Holy Scriptures. Not to Mother Earth, not to Mother Nature, not to the universe, not to any other pagan entity. Creation is a witness to the creator God, the one true God. And there is a difference between between stewarding the earth and worshiping the earth. The climate activists of today have really turned the care of the earth into a religion of earth worship. And God alone is to be worshiped, not his creation. God is to be worshiped. And and it's interesting that Paul and Barnabas, right, they are listed as witnesses to the gospel. They're witnesses to Christ. And what did they do? Uh, They tore their clothes when, when they were when they were worshipped falsely, right? They, they, they tore their garments when they were worshipped instead of God being worshipped. And it, and it made me think, okay, if Paul and Barnabas are witnesses, and that's what they did when they're worshipped falsely, I wonder what the earth does in response to being falsely worshipped. I wonder. I wonder if some of what we see is the earth... Tearing its garments at the notion of being worshiped in the place of the Creator God. Because creation knows its place. Acts 14 tells us that creation is a witness, and witnesses do not get worshiped, God does. And it's the same with the witnesses. So what you have here is you have Paul and Barnabas, their witnesses, they're getting worshiped and they're saying, no, tearing their clothes can't happen. And then you have the earth, which is a witness and creation, it's getting worshiped and creation saying, no, we're witnesses to God and God alone. This is, this is the story of the Bible, the story of scripture, The second point of his sermon is that God's goodness and providence is on display for the world to see. God's goodness and providence is on display for the world to see. Paul makes it clear to these pagan Gentiles that the rains from heaven, the fruitful seasons, the harvest, the food, even the very gladness that you receive from these things... They all come from God and they all reveal something about God. He's good, which we just sang about, right? It's why we we sing songs like that, to remind ourselves that God is so good. So they reveal his goodness. You know, when when you pray before a meal, Right? You know that weird feeling you get when you're at the restaurant? You're like, oh, should we pray or, or shouldn't we pray? You know, there's people, they're all around us. They're going to look. What are they going to say? You're not praying for the food. You're not rebuking calories and carbs and salt and sodium and all of that. I mean, you can try that. You're not rebuking those things. You know, you're not, I really hope that this, was, this tastes better than the last time we were here. You're, you're giving thanks to God for his provision. So what meals do? Meals break up our day. Right? We eat. We eat in the morning, we eat in the afternoon, we eat in the evening. We eat, we eat all different times throughout the day. And and what, what what those times of eating do is they provide for us a way to stop and say thank you, God, for how you provide for me. That's it. It's it's thank you, God. You this this reminds me that what that you You have everything that we have comes from you. It's it's just a thankful heart and and pointing to God. So again, a very different message from Pisidian, Antioch, and Iconium, where, where Paul went through the patriarchs, right, and the Exodus, and the prophets, and the kings, and then he eventually got to Jesus, but that would not mean the same thing to these Greeks, so... Paul contextualizes his message around God as creator, God as sustainer of all things, but he doesn't lose the truth while doing so. Now, verse 18, if you look at verse 18, it seems to indicate that this priest and crowd is determined to sacrifice these bulls to the gods, and that Paul and Barnabas were almost unsuccessful in restraining the people from doing it. So there must be something going on physically where Paul and Barnabas are now in the crowd and trying to literally restrain people from offering bulls to the gods in response to what they did. Why, why are they doing that? We need to understand this. It's, it's because they will not allow that something that is supposed to be of God to be used for an unholy purpose in an unholy way. And this most likely prevented Paul from continuing the sermon. If we look back at his sermons, we see that he usually keeps going on. Acts 17, which we're going to get to, is a great example of how he started with creation and ended up talking also about God and and getting to the story of Jesus. But here, this situation seems to interrupt him. It's a chaotic scene. And it's probably why we don't see him finish talking about specifically Jesus, his life, and his death, and his resurrection couldn't keep preaching. They had to literally restrain the people from offering pagan sacrifices, and that's what they did. So what we're going to do is we're going to pick up with the rest of the chapter next week, and we'll see, obviously, you can you know, read ahead and see what happens, um, and then we'll, we'll talk about it uh, next week. But I wanted to, I have three thoughts that I wanted to give to you for you to consider and apply and think about as we take in these truths of this text that we've already looked at today. First one is this, we cannot dilute or compromise the gospel message in an effort to contextualize the gospel message. We can't dilute it and we can't compromise the integrity of the gospel in an effort to contextualize it. So yes, we should, we should do that. We should contextualize our, our message to our audience and understand that the audiences vary. But that never means, it never means we dilute the gospel message or compromise it. What, why is this so important for us? to know because what is happening in our world today is making it so that Christians, pastors, churches we we need to be as faithful as ever to the gospel, to the true gospel. There are so there is just so much dilution happening in so many different areas. And that's why this is important for you to hear, for us to hear. We have no right or authority to change this message, to dilute it in any way. Paul's message in Lystra was very different, as I mentioned, from his message in Pisidian Antioch. But he didn't compromise the message. The gospel message will always be about Jesus, the sinful condition of humanity, Our need for salvation, one way to be saved through Christ, his death, his resurrection on our behalf, we can't compromise that message in an effort to somehow win people to the message. Can't do it. And so this is, this is one of the things that we can take from, from this text because we see the commitment of Paul and Barnabas to the truth. They, they, they could have handled this so many different ways than they did. Second, we cannot make Jesus into our own likeness in an effort to make Jesus more likable to the world. We cannot make Jesus into our own likeness in an effort to make Jesus more likable to the world. That is not true gospel witness. When the people referred to Paul and Barnabas as gods and began a pagan, essentially a pagan worship service where they were going to literally sacrifice bulls, Paul knew, he knew something. Wait a minute. They don't understand who Jesus is. They're not getting, they're not getting what what we're all about because because to to understand who Jesus is is to understand who he is not as well. And he is not not part of this this pagan deity and this pagan uh, mythology that that was existing among the Greeks. But you know, Paul could have went along with it. This story could have looked different, right? He could have said, You know what, Barnabas, just let it go because maybe this is how some of these Lystrans will actually come to know about Jesus. Maybe they'll ask more questions about Jesus if we just kind of let this play out. But he didn't. He strongly opposed it because they wouldn't find the true Jesus through this. What they would find is their made-up pagan Jesus. And Paul and Barnabas were preaching the true gospel, and that's something that we need to understand as believers today the world the world loves meek and mild jesus they they you see that all over they love the they, they tolerate a teacher jesus you know Jesus that had a lot of really good things to say and had good instruction and we can, we can apply some of those things. They, they'll even look up to the enlightened Jesus, the enlightened spiritual Jesus. They will quote, the compassionate Jesus is quoted all the time. That, that, you, you can see that a lot and, our, and our, so, our, our society and our culture loves unfortunately the social justice Jesus which is, again, not the Jesus that is being revealed here. This this whole approach to who Jesus is is really getting confusing, even among believers and the church. And we're called, again, to to representing the Jesus as he has been revealed. This uh, He Gets Us campaign, it proves this. And it's very possible I could be saying something that would be potentially offensive to, to some of you, but I'll, I'll say this in love to my church family as your pastor, we must use discernment. We need discernment. We have an enemy who is very deceptive. And one of the most deceptive things he can do is portray Jesus in a way that's not as Jesus was revealed in the scriptures. Refugee Jesus, women's rights Jesus, and activist Jesus is not the Jesus revealed in this text. And this is the Jesus made into the likeness of America. In 2023. That's what I see. I see this is the America, this is the Jesus America wants. But it's not the Jesus the church is called to reveal. It, it doesn't matter which one they want. What matters is who we've been called to, right? We're, we're, we, we sang a song, who you say I am, right? And we're raising our hand, I, our hands. I am who you say I am. And I'm thinking, well, he is who he said he is too, And we need to raise our hands to that. And I agree, we are who he says we are, but he is who he says he is. And we don't have any right or authority to dilute that. Lloyd John Ogilvie, who is a a late uh, Presbyterian pastor, author, he's also the former chaplain to the United States Senate. He actually pastored a church for a long time in Hollywood, California, um, and, and from all that I could see, really did, really did so in a way that was faithful uh, to the gospel. He, he said something. He said, Jesus is a VIP to be honored, but not believed or followed. This is what he's kind of seeing in the world uh, even before he passed. Um, in America, he's a custom, but not the true Christ, a captured hero of a casual civil religion, but not Lord of our lives. You see, the world tolerates a Jesus that they can make into their own likeness. But Jesus is to be, to be proclaimed only as he was revealed in the scriptures. And how is he revealed? King, Lord, Redeemer, Savior, and eventual, ultimate judge of all people. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord he is the judge of all. He is God himself in human flesh, revealed to us as the true light of the world. And, and, and when you look at John chapter one, it tells us that the reason that the light wasn't received isn't because we needed a better uh, marketing campaign of making sure that, that he's being portrayed the right way. No, it says that the light wasn't received because the world loved the darkness more than light. And there's a big difference We need to continue to proclaim Jesus as he has been revealed and trust the results. Trust him in faith. Not not calling people to a Jesus of our own likeness that we've created, no matter what that looks like. And the third final thought that I want us to consider and remember about this text is that creation is a witness and testimony to the one and only true God, Creation is a witness and testimony to the one and only true God. I love verse 17. Let that sink in for you. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. The, the witness is creation in verse 17. You might quickly read that and think that's referring to humans. It's not, it's, it's referring to the creation of God. Paul's message was a message of creation God is the creator of all things, and that matters. Have you noticed that that all of a sudden we're we're like we're we're being invaded by unidentified objects flying around our airspace? You know, it's all everyone's talking about. No one seems to know what they are. Well, some somebody knows what they are. But I was thinking about that, and and I remember seeing on the one they were showing this object that I could barely, it was like just like this fuzzy white thing and I didn't even know what it was. But in the background, I could see the sun and I was watching this cloud and then this bird went by and I just remember thinking, wow, you've got, sometimes we can be so distracted by this little tiny thing. We don't even know what it is, but what about what we see every single day? The amazing things we see, the sun, the blue sky, the moon, the stars, the oceans, the lakes, the animals. Don't miss their testimony. That's what, Luke, that's what Luke is telling us here in Acts 14. Don't miss their testimony. Don't miss their witness. Psalm 33:6 says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Think about that. The starry host by the breath of his mouth. The creator God literally breathes stars into existence that we today as humans try to study and can't, can't figure it all out. We continue to discover new ones. Our God literally breathes out stars into the galaxies. The creation of God is testifying. There's one God, There is one creator of all things and he alone is to be worshiped and he is worthy of all of that worship. So much here in this text and I hope and pray that these truths that you can just now take and and consider and think about can help you worship God in the way that you should and continue to understand our calling as witnesses to proclaim Jesus as he has been revealed. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for the revelation of your word, the revelation of Christ. We thank you for the revelation that we see even through creation. These are all testaments and witnesses to our God. We see his creativity We see his love for beauty, design, power, might, glory. Lord God, help us to continue to see the testimony and the witness of your creation to the world. And may we respond with that, to that with worship. Proper, godly, righteous worship in the way that we should. We thank you, God for who you are, help us to continue to respond to you the way that you've called us to. We ask you to do this in Jesus' name, amen.